freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. everybody. Welcome to episode number 303 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is our heritage of education. And our guest is Catherine Gorka. Katie is the director for civil society at the American Dialogue at the Heritage Foundation's Fulner Institute. Katie has served as senior advisor of the Office of Policy at the Department of Homeland Security from 20, 2017 to 2019, where she focused on strategy for prevention of terrorism and targeted violence. She has also served as a press secretary for the US Customs and Border Protection. And from 1996 to 2008, she lived in Budapest, Hungary, where she came to understand firsthand the devastating impact of communism and developed a long life commitment for fighting for freedom and American exceptionalism. Wow. Thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thanks so much. I'm thrilled to be here. That's fantastic. And when you were in Budapest, Hungary, is that when you met? your husband, Sebastian, or did you guys, did you already know each other and then move there together? So he was there. I was in the States. We met in 94 at a conference on um, ethnic conflict of all things. Um, That was at the time of the Yugoslav war. And there was a lot of fear that um, ethnic conflict would spread further, particularly around Hungary. And so the Atlantic Council had a conference for, quote, young leaders. And uh, Sebastian and I met each other there. And we pretty quickly figured out that we probably wanted to marry each other. And so I took a job that, you know, it was a real one of those God things. I was offered a job in Warsaw. And I said, I'll take the job if you'll let me do it in Budapest. And so I moved over. So I moved for him. And then I ended up spending about 12 years there altogether. Wow. That's, that's an awesome story. So you guys have been married, you and Sebastian Gorka for how long? Coming right up on 25 years. 25. Congratulations. Boy, that's, uh, and and you work together like, like us, we work together and live together. So we really, we say we should get double years. So you can start (laughs) telling people you've been married 50 years and people will be like, you look amazing for your age. So (laughs) I don't know. Part of me feels though we should get somehow like half the credit because I think working together makes the marriage so much more interesting. So I feel like the time has flown and it's been really fun. I actually, I love working with my husband. Absolutely. We, we do the same thing. We work every day together and you know, there's some hard times, but uh, there's a lot of good times and it does make time fly. Absolutely. You never run out of things to talk about, right? 
Boy, that's well, definitely that the case. Could be a problem though, because that's all you talk about is. Oh my goodness! So, Katie, your team, uh, you and your team are working on this whole critical race theory thing that has bubbled up seemingly out of nowhere, and you're helping schools push back on the what feels like a tidal wave of the politicized curriculum. Uh, of critical race theory. So can you give us kind of a quick overview for our listeners that, because we have listeners all over the, the world, and some of them maybe haven't even heard of this, just a quick synopsis of, of what this critical race theory is. Right. Well, if I could actually preface it by explaining how we got into this, because I think it helps explain it a little bit better. When I came to Heritage only about a year ago, Actually, the, the pressing issue at that time was something called the 1619 Project. This was um, a project of the New York Times that had been published the previous August. And what the 1619 Project sets out to do is to rewrite American history, saying that it doesn't begin with our independence in 1776, that it, but it, that it begins with 1619 when the first slaves were brought to this country. And the 1619 Project really sets out to say that America is fundamentally flawed, our constitution is fundamentally flawed, and that we are systemically racist. And the whole project has to be, you know, I think essentially torn down and rebuilt in a new way. So, you know, then follows the George Floyd incidents last, last spring and summer. And suddenly, as you said, like critical race theory suddenly seems to explode onto our horizon. Now, to be fair, it's been simmering in our universities for decades. It actually came from Europe. It's, it's Marxist in origin, but it has evolved over the years to where it's now fully embraced by our schools of education and by many of our universities. In essence, Critical race theory is Marxist in the sense that it looks at everything as a zero-sum game, and it looks at everything as relationships of power. And it's all about who is the oppressor and who is the oppressed. It divides the worlds into these two categories. So what that means is, you know, the, the oppressors, of course, are the white males. They're probably first in line. White women come second. And then everybody else, uh, you know, falls into some category or another of oppressed. I mean, an interesting side note is that Jews who have had such a hard time are actually now in the category of the oppressed because they're white and, you know, often successful. They are put now in the oppressor category. And, and, and even Asians, I don't know, they go back and forth depending on what the news is. Um, but that's, you know, that's in essence critical race theory. And, you know, part of what's so challenging right now is that so many organizations, schools, corporations, even government agencies are introducing training to reverse this, this power dynamic, right? And so one of the most famous proponents of this, Ibram Kendi says, the only way we can address the racism of the past is to provide a new racism, a reverse racism. And that's what it is. It is so fundamentally racist, it's, it's unbelievable. And it just paints, it looks at everybody not as individuals with their own merits and flaws, 
but it measures us by our skin color, essentially, or in some cases, you know, your sexual identity or your ethnic identity, but it's, it's largely about race. Can you see my head burning inside? <laughs> so, so they can look for an excuse of the color of car you bought or what you eat or anything else could be, you could be racist, right? Yeah, it's those little microaggressions. I, you know, that word bubbled up uh, several years ago. And, you know, you're just having a normal conversation. You think you're having a normal conversation with another human as human to human. And then somebody else observing it who their mind is polluted with racism uh, and racist ideas. They would diagnose it as, you know, just a series of aggressions and microaggressions. Uh, and and it's, it's just really a sick way of trying to um you know describe how human beings interact with each other yeah it's a very dark way of looking at the world um you know to think that everybody's out to get you to think that you're powerless and i think this is one of the most distressing things about it i know a lot of the pushback is obviously coming from white people who are challenging it and saying you know don't tell me i'm systemically racist right um, that's part of it, but you, a lot of the most effective pushback is actually coming from within the African-American community. Um, they're saying, you know, I, I heard one mom who was so passionate, she's got three sons in the North Carolina public school system, and she was so upset because she says it, 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 it takes away, you know, the, this argument that they're victims and that they can't get out from under this systemic racism, she says it teaches them low self-esteem. And she said, it takes away all the achievements of African-Americans in this country. I think that's a great argument because it focuses so much simply on slavery and the way African-Americans you know, have suffered. And, and she says, the third thing is it causes division and disunity. We will never bring this country together. We will never create a unified nation and move forward in our effort to really live up to the founders ideal if we go down this path of, of further division, which is what critical race theory wants us to do. You know, I've lived, you know, I was lived in the 60s and I saw racism uh, firsthand. I mean, you know, whites against blacks, against Mexicans, whatever. And through the years, I've seen many changes. I've seen good changes. It seems like people are more, until the last couple of years, it seemed like people were more together instead of divided. And now it looks like they're purposely trying to divide the country again. It's, it's, to, it's to create chaos. How can you no, say I, that I, I'm I, racist because, I, because of what I said, what I, uh, the color of car I drive? Well, or, I don't know about this color of the car thing, but you know, people could say, well, look, we elected the first black president and many white people voted for Barack Obama. Well, so under this Ibram X, whatever his name is, Ken, Kendi, Kendi, he would say, well, the whites only voted for uh, Obama out of guilt, right? And so, you know, there's no win. We can't say no, you know, those who voted for him can't say no, I really believed in his abilities or whatever. Um, it, it, it just nullifies any argument, whether it's... Uh, out of goodness or kindness or whether it's out of malice 
the observer, this candy guy, or anybody that is looking through this lens of critical race theory is able to shift it. It's a classic trick and a game that narcissists and abusers use. Honestly, my background's in psychology. So I'm seeing that it's, they put you in a no-win situation and their description of you and your motives are the only ones that count and you're going to lose no matter what. Um, but I interrupted you and I apologize. So go ahead with what you're going to say. No, I think that's a fascinating perspective. Um, I look at it as, as well from the perspective of, well, what is it that they really want here? And, and I think it's clear that they don't want healing. They don't want unity. Um, you know, I did some quite a bit of research on what happened back in the 60s. You know, this was last summer. I was looking at this question when, when we had all the riots going on across the country. Um, and there was a lot of question at that time as to whether it was being coordinated and, and organized centrally, right? Or was this really something spontaneous? And I was looking back um, at the 60s where there was incredible research done that showed that in fact, those, those riots of the 60s were not spontaneous either. Um, and what had gone on in that case was you had the white well-to-do students who formed um, these SDS, um, Students for Democratic Society, very leftist organization, um, went into cities such as Newark and spent three years fomenting dissent and anti-police sentiment and anger and they provided training even. They, even as, as, as 67 got closer in the riots, um, providing weapons training and bringing in experts and teaching people how to make Molotov cocktails. So it was no accident at all when that exploded into the riots of 67. And what was it they wanted? They wanted to tear down the system that, the, that we have. They were full on Marxist. And you see the same thing today, you know, people love to sort of ignore what Black Lives Matter says that they're all about, but they themselves put it on their website. You know, they want to destroy the nuclear family. Um, they talk about being trained Marxists. They are on film saying they are trained Marxists. And so I think, you know, I actually think it's really sad. I think you have um, many people in this country who are driving this movement who are actually uh, using race and using African-Americans to drive their political agenda uh, to, to bring about Marxism or socialism. Isn't that racism in itself? 100%, absolutely. And it's the, it's the worst kind because it's, it's using African-Americans and using them in the way that's gonna be hurtful to them. Um, one of the things that, that, we, that also came out of the 60s was there was extensive research done by economists following those riots, which showed that the people who suffered most from those riots, which were supposed to be all about anti-racism, were actually the African-Americans living in those cities. Their property values did not recover for decades. Well, what do you think is happening these days in our cities? I think you're seeing the same thing. And, and you know, with jobs lost, with property values hurt, all that stuff. I just don't think that, that the people who are behind this are about doing good things for African-Americans or poor people. I don't understand why they can't see that. I mean, you, you see the riots in the 
rough areas of the country and they can never recover because because of what they're doing and they're just they're keeping them down they're keeping the people down and it's it, why can't you know why would you wake up and see that well and the thing that is so puzzling to me is that uh you know, I, I was born in 66. And so, you know, I was in high school in, you know, the eighties, the early eighties, and it was all about, you know, ebony and ivory and, you know, seeing each other, we are the world and all of that. And I truly believe that my generation raised our daughter's 30 now 31. I believe that our generation raised the most inclusive and, and most integrated, uh, um, generation that we have ever seen in this nation. And it should, I mean, we have, you know, it, when I was young, it was shocking to see, you know, like a, a mixed race couple of any kind. But by the time my daughter was uh, in high school, it was a very common thing. So we have lots and lots of, of families out there that are blended in a variety of different ways it's shocking to me that they can float something like critical race theory at a time that they're floating it and getting traction because what is going on in the minds of the people that were raised to be, I mean, colorblind is there's people that really push back on that, but um, I use it in a sense that we see the human first and, you know, let the human teach us about themselves uh, and so, you know, whatever their, their racial uh, makeup is, is, is very down the road from our, our initial encounter and our, our relationship building. And I myself, I've never done the 23andMe. I just say I'm a mutt. I am like, you know, a pound puppy. I'm, I'm a little bit of everything. And so, uh, you know, it's just shocking to me that uh, with all of that, we find ourselves gobbling down like little baby birds, uh, unquestioningly, this, you know, 1619, this critical race theory. Do you have any thoughts on, on how they're so apparently easily able to, to feed this to the public? Actually, that's a great question. And I don't have a good answer to that. And I think what's, what's, you know, it, I'll get, I'll give you an example. So here, I don't know if this provides insight, but I've, I've been watching closely and involved with North Carolina. So here's what happened in North Carolina. Back in the fall of 2019, the North Carolina legislature said, we would like our high school students to graduate with financial literacy. So please go back and revise the standards a little bit so that kids get some financial literacy teaching in there, you know, before they graduate. So the school board went and took that as permission to entirely rewrite all of the social studies standards from kindergarten through 12th grade, and that they are all now based on critical race theory. So here's wow. what's interesting. To me, what's interesting is not that the rewriting happened because you're seeing there's so much push going on behind the scenes and you're seeing these radicals who are getting into positions of power. What I don't understand is why the North Carolina legislature did not then turn around and say, what is this? This is not what we asked for. And I think it's fear. I think people are afraid to stand up to it. I think they don't understand it. And I think they're, they are afraid of being called out as racist. But the other thing that's interesting is that the woman who, who heads up that school board 
um, is herself a Republican. And one of the activists in North Carolina confronted her about this and said, you know, you know that this is a problem. It's based on critical race theory. And she said, oh, well, I think your understanding of critical race theory is different from my understanding of critical race theory. So I, I think part of the problem is that- So it was a fun trick. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I truly, I think it's part of the problem. We don't, we don't teach history anymore or, or we do it badly and we don't do it enough. I think people don't understand well enough in this country. I don't think they understand Marxism. I don't think they understand socialism. I don't think they understand where critical race theory will take us. And they think it's really, I think a lot of people think it's benign and just mm -hmm. think this is a way to address racism. That's where I think the fundamental problem lies. What's interesting to me is that they're, they call us racist for everything that we do now. So next time that we have a challenge, we're not gonna be afraid to speak up because you're already labeled us as racist. Well, I mean, that could be a yeah. positive outcome or it could actually empower true races because, you know, they're hiding in plain sight. You know, if everybody's a racist, then, you know, what does that really mean? It, it kind of nullifies the, the evil that true um, uh, abusive and overt racism is. And nobody wants that. Yeah. That's the thing is that, you know, nobody wants that, but this this kind of posturing and the way that they phrase things with this uh, critical race theory uh, puts everybody on their back, back heels. And so we're not quite sure how do we engage because we automatic, we know, well, if I say this, then they're going to label it as racism, you know, in this way. And if I say this, they're going to label it as racism in this way. And so maybe it's just safer to be silent and quiet and let them do their thing. And and that is a very dangerous pathway. But what you've been seeing across the nation is many different uh, school systems. Now, as we said, it's in the government systems, it's, it's all over. But if we just focus right now on the school curriculum, you're seeing many schools pushing back in different ways. Can you give us some uh, insight into what methods different schools are are using to successfully kind of push this out of uh, the conversation and, and their uh, future curriculum? Well, so first of all, just to be clear, I would say, I think it's less the schools who are pushing back. I mean, you, you absolutely have schools that are not adopting it. Let's just be clear. It's not every school that's, you know, picking this stuff up. Um, and, and even, you know, many, many teachers also see the insanity of it. Um, one of the, the great stories of, I think, the past year has been this, this one mother up in Philadelphia, Ilana Fishbein, who was on Tucker Carlson, got a lot of attention uh, because she got um, she was on Tucker and she created something called No Left Turn in Education. She saw her kids, you know, being indoctrinated in the Lower Marion schools of Philadelphia, and she stood up to it. And um, because she went and created this national organization, she says she has teachers all over the country. Maybe they have to do it quietly, but they're writing to her and saying, you know, this stuff is a problem. So I, I want to be clear about that. There are a lot of schools that, that, that simply aren't picking it up. 
but in many respects it's it's the schools it's the it's the elites it's the administrators and it's absolutely the teachers unions so the teachers union has been a big advocate um they've got black lives matter on their website um so where we where we're really seeing the pushback is from parents um this has been i think the real change and it's it's interesting, you know. I was thinking about thinking about this question of where am I seeing success. For me, raises the question of what is success in this fight. How do we measure success? So you can take a case like um, Oklahoma, where the state legislature actually last Thursday um, approved a bill to uh, ban the teaching of critical race theory from public schools and universities. Now, the governor hasn't signed it yet, so it's not been signed into law, but, you know, the fact that the House passed it, that's, that's something. Now, what I, you know, is that the ultimate measure of success? And I would say, no, it's not, because here's the thing. This stuff is coming down to us from so many different places. And the federal government, and I hope we'll have a few minutes to talk briefly about what the federal government is doing, because they are really pushing this. But I think you really have to measure success as what the parents are doing, because ultimately, the only thing that's going to stop this is if parents across this country get engaged, pay closer attention to what their children are being taught, and they are the ones who are going to have to say, this is not okay. And whether they do that because they're talking to their teachers, whether they're because they're running for school board, and that's a super important angle to take, um, or whether they're voting with their feet and pulling their kids out of schools and going in. And I've, you know, I've seen many instances of this happening where they're pulling kids out of schools and putting them into better schools. So I, I think where I've been most heartened by the success is all the different parents that I've seen parents individually standing up for it or parent groups being formed. Um, I think it's really the parents who are fighting back and having having the, the most success right now. Didn't we see a thing in Arizona where, what, tell us about that, Cheryl. Well, uh, near us is the Litchfield Elementary School District and they've been in the national news recently for, you know, the, the parents that are pushing back and showing up at board meetings and, you know, questioning what is all of this about and the board, basically, what it seems like to me kind of lying to their faces and saying, Oh, no, no, we're not doing anything like that. And yet, you know, we can see right there on their, uh, the website and, and the, the, uh, the curriculum, and the way that they're training their teachers, yeah, that you really are. Um, so that's been going on. And then there was this story out of Vail, Arizona, which is down south of Tucson, I believe. Uh, it's a smaller rural area, but apparently the, the parents showed up at a school board meeting. And it was, I think, mostly the, the pressing issue there was maybe the masking issue. But um, it was an example of, you know, when parents will pay attention, show up speak up that things can change. And so apparently that night at the meeting, the, the school board, you know, stood up and walked out, turned their backs on the parents and the parents, you know, at least symbolically for the night said, well, we're going to recreate this board. And, you know, different people say it was meaningless. They didn't really do anything. They didn't fire the board. They didn't hire a new board. 
I don't even care about that. What I care about is the example of people actually showing up, getting together, being informed and doing something. And that's exactly what you're saying, Katie, is that's where the rubber meets the road. And why is that shocking news? We are always where the rubber meets the road in our children's lives if we will actually engage. I just think for many of us, we kind of went into autopilot and trusted that education would be okay. And it just got gradually worse and worse and worse. The good news is, I think the very good news actually, is that I think once parents engage, because whether they're upset over masks or school closings or critical race theory, I think once they engage, they're much more inclined to stay engaged. So I actually think almost as a result of this, we're gonna see a great rebirth of civic civil society and, and civic activism in our country because people realize you can't sit comfortably by and just take your kids to sports and buy your groceries and trust that everything's gonna be okay. Boy, that is so true. And I do believe in that kind of pendulum swing of, of mm -hmm. how things go. And so even, you know, our, our show is called Gun Freedom Radio. So we talk about, you know, gun rights and gun laws a lot on this show. And the, the fact that the, the Biden administration has come out with, you know, these executive orders, uh, you know, that are really infringing on our rights and saying things like, well, no amendment is absolute and things like that, though, that's horrible. But it is making people like, stand up a little straighter and go, wait, wait, what did I just hear? And I can't let that go unanswered. And so I agree with you that sometimes the, the extremes uh, that really threaten our freedoms are this weird blessing in disguise. But I think the people that are pushing the extremes, they are counting on us staying in our slumber. And, and that is a dangerous um, possibility that, you know, we might get fiery for a minute and then be like, oh, well, that was, you know, you know, shiny, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a squirrel. There's something else for me to pay attention to. Um, and so part of that, part of staying engaged uh, is maybe really understanding what has happened in education and why, what happened to civics in history? Was that a budgetary issue? Like, where did all of that go that we are not having kids learning those things consistently in every district across the United States? Do you have any insight into that? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the sense is that a lot of it comes from the big push for STEM. You know, we, we, we made this assessment at a certain point that we had to invest heavily instead. And the federal government spends over $3 billion a year investing in K through 12 STEM. So, you know, those resources, that time, that energy has to get pulled from somewhere. So that's, you know, I think that was definitely one, one aspect, but the other is, you know, that the education, both because of what's been going on in the universities and particularly what's been going on in the um, schools of education, right? Where teachers go to get trained, there simply has been this leftward drift and there isn't the interest in teaching you know, a patriotic American history and civics. And so those things have just, you know, fallen by the wayside. And, you know, as far as parents needing to pay attention, I mean, I'm telling you, 
the things that are coming out of Washington right now are going to be a big slap in the face for a lot of people. Um, there was something introduced just a couple of weeks ago, Educating for American Democracy, where the administration is proposing that all the grants that go out to the states for civics and history funding will be prioritized to those who employ uh, critical race theory. That's one thing. But even more alarming is this, the new um, American family plan that just came out. Absolutely massive amount of spending. And honestly, it's the government getting involved in family life in ways that it, it never has. Um, they, they are proposing universal childcare for three and four-year-olds. I mean, that's just one example um, of, of what this thing is gonna do. And I'm telling you, Biden is taking us to being a socialist country. I, I am not exaggerating. All, all the analysis that our policymakers are doing at Heritage across the board, that is the assessment. It is not a progressive, it is, it is radical what this administration and this Congress are trying to do to this country. And unless parents step up and, and, and push back at the local level, um, it, we're gonna be swept over. It's, it's a little bit scary. It is a little bit scary. And I have um, nieces and nephews that are my, my daughter's age that they have fully like big spoonfuls. They love the socialism. They love, you know, because they don't, they're not really thinking it through and they're, they bought into that. Well, it's democratic socialism, right. you know, yeah. and um, that, well, we've never really tried true socialism <sighs> and that we can do, we, yes, we can, you know, and yeah. uh, you know, my, my grandfather's uh, generation are somersaulting in their graves. They have to be because I know our family was taught better than that. I know we were, and it, I guess it, it is the school system or, or the news, the never ending onslaught of, I always have to use air quotes, the news yeah. you know, feeding us this. And if we don't, I think the other thing that we're not being taught as well or at all in schools anymore is critical thinking, you know, being able to examine yeah. two ideas and, and hold pieces of both ideas and finding that place in the middle that, you know, is probably where the, the best path and the best truth is. And if we don't have critical thinking, then all we have is that baby bird syndrome where, well, I, I idolize this person, I hero worship this, you know, news organization or whatever. And anything they say is like the gospel straight from the mouth of God. And that is so dangerous. And um, I don't know how we fight that again without it being part of the dinner table conversations that families have at the end of the day. My daughter would come home with, you know, garbage ideas that mm -hmm. thankfully she always kind of, you know, was, you know, winking at them like, yeah, mom. So today my teacher fired up the movie um, Bowling for Columbine. You know, and I was like, so what do you think about that? You know, put on my little psychologist hat. So what do you think about that? You know, and of course she, you know, was like, I thought it was really uh, garbage. And I said, well, perhaps your teacher tomorrow is going to show you sort of a counter to that, you know, just as, 
you know, extreme of a counter to that. And then you, your class will have a discussion about it. And she was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And, uh, and it didn't, but the fact that our family dissected it and talked about it and that sort of thing, we at least, you know, we asked her first, what do you think? And then we weighed in with what we felt and we had a great discussion and that was just common fair in our house. And I think, unfortunately, maybe that's a rarity. Hey, though, there is a piece of good news here. I just saw some polling that was conducted by the Sutherland Institute in Utah, and it was exactly on this question. And one of the things that they found is that for parents, for adults, actually, sorry, that the, the survey was adults, uh, just under half of whom were parents, the critical thinking was one of the highest priorities. So I do think most Americans appreciate the importance of critical thinking. And they were very, very down on the notion of kids being taught what to think, right? Teach them how to think, not what to think. And as long as we hold on to that, I, I think we're in good shape. What, what worries me though, is that we don't have the teachers who embrace that. And again, what I find interesting is you know, one thing we haven't even talked about, we're seeing pushback from parents, but I've also seen really interesting pushback from students. Um, I've seen, yeah, I just, you know, for example, somebody, an, ele an, an 11th grader shared a letter with me that she wrote to her history teacher. She was so excited for her 11th grade American history class and to, to learn about the Constitution. And it was, you know, what she got was awful. It had nothing to do with the Constitution. And it was all about Jeff Bezos earning too much money and other ridiculous things. So she wrote this beautiful letter to challenge that. And I've, I've had interns who've talked about, you know, standing up and challenging their, their incredibly leftist professors who, who, you know, in saying that all conservatives are racist, that kind of thing. So I, you know, I fundamentally believe in Americans. I think we're going to be okay in the long run, but, but boy, it's interesting to see you know, just how hard and fast the left is pushing right now. And, you know, it's just going to take a lot of courage for people to stand up and say, no, we are not going to let this happen to our great nation. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we were founded on a rebel spirit and hopefully <laughs> that still runs through enough of our veins that, um, you know, it, if that's all it is, is somebody, you know, doing that pushback and saying, I'm not going to just go along to get along. I want to really have a voice in this. And I want uh, to, to have a unique thought in my head. Uh, so hopefully from your lips to God's ears, that mm -hmm. is still out there and that we will have a, a new generation of students that are you know, kind of shaking their heads in class going. But then the hard thing is that a lot of students, um, I believe, and I, I got my master's degree only, what, three or four years ago. And I went to a Christian university, but there was still things that I knew that I had to kind of like, I uh, have to phrase it this way instead of that way so that, you know, I know this teacher's bent. So I do think there are students out there that are you know, they're playing the game to get their A's. Um, and hopefully it is, it stays a game. Let's I still think, go ahead. 
No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Peter. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed by the enormity of the problem, but I think they don't recognize that even the smallest individual acts of resistance or civil disobedience to these crazy ideas, even the smallest acts have profound repercussions. So whether it's one student standing up or one student resisting or one parent resisting, um, it has a big ripple effect. So I think, you know, there's there's nothing that one person can't do. Mm, I love that. Go I, ahead, I think that our parents, the parents are the key to fix this, but the, the teachers are under the rules of the colleges and principals or whatever are the school board and the unions. And that's the battle because you either do teach it the way we tell you to teach it, or we're not going to represent you in the union and you're going to lose your job. I don't know. It, it, that's the scary part, but the, the parents can influence the child to question. Mm -hmm. And that's the key the, mm -hmm. that they question it. I mean, my family was racist. My, my mom and dad, I, I would call them racist, not critical thinking racist, but racist. And critical race we had theory. to challenge that. I had really kind of had no choice at the time because we lived in an area that minority, I lived in a minority area. Um, so you had to adapt. And so I had conflicts with my parents, with the kids that I ran around with. And I just figured my mom and dad were wrong, I, but I challenged them. And, you know, we teach, we taught our kids, our kid, that you you don't look at the color of skin. You, mm -hmm. you look at their abilities, what they can do. So I was able to break from that. But it's hard because the parents aren't really interacting with the kids like they used to, right? And now the teachers are the their main source of influence. Mm. So, But I think COVID changed a lot of that. You know, I think, you know, obviously we were all thrown together. And I think that's partly why you're seeing this revolution because parents are seeing what their kids are being taught and parents are having, I mean, we just had our, our college age son home with us for almost a whole year. Um, that was a blessing. That was a gift that we would not have had otherwise. True. Um, and I think it's true for a lot of families. And I think that's why you see many, many more families now considering homeschooling or school alternatives because they see what's happening to their kids in schools. Yeah. Boy, absolutely. And that, that is so true that, you know, people being able to hear what the teachers are saying on the Zoom uh, cl classrooms mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. That was, um, you know, it was not a great year for learning uh, for the students, but maybe it was a better year for parents to be able to tap back in and say, oh gosh, <laughs> that's great interesting. Point. Yes. <laughs> so, um, absolutely. Well, we need to start wrapping up, but we have so much more we need to talk about. Uh, we're going to have to definitely have you back on. Um, is there any key point that you feel that we definitely want to leave the audience with before we um, start really winding up here? I just encourage every person to stand up wherever they can in whatever conversation or whatever context. And then another small detail, but I mean, I think school boards are hugely important. So I, I hope more people will consider running for school board. And if you don't want to run for it yourself, make sure that you're supporting somebody who is, whether it's hosting events for them or supporting their campaign. But I think we've all recognized school boards are vitally important um, and we need to pay more attention to that. 
We sure do. And we need people on there who will, um, at the Litchfield uh, Elementary School District near us, it was one school board member who was the dissenting voice. So as you said, you know, what one person can do is a lot. He was the one dissenting voice and he called attention to this and he wrote articles and he got on the news and then got the parents involved. And because normally they, you know, it's a school board meeting can just be like a wah, 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 droning on. And so it it causes people to to check out mentally. Um, And we clearly that what's going on right now is evidence. We clearly do not have that luxury to check out. So I love that, that um, prescription that you've given us to get involved in whatever ways we can. Uh, Katie, thank you so much for all that you do. Can you tell folks how they can continue to follow the work that you're doing? Yeah, so I'm most active on Facebook where I'm there as Katherine Gorka, Katherine spelled with two A's. Um, I'm on Twitter as Gorka Katie, but not so much there. But Facebook is really the place. And then Heritage um, posts, we just post so much on education, keeping up with all of this. So go to heritage.org and actually just search on education and you'll see all the latest analysis and activities. And we do great webinars, which are open to the public. So if you wanna learn more, that's also a great place to come. Fantastic. Thank you so much again. And we are definitely going to be asking you back on if you will come. Thanks so much. I'd love to. Awesome. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thanks. You know, I, um, I got really heated up in this. It didn't show, but I did. (laughs) I can feel the heat coming. The government is like influencing people by controlling them, by giving them money so they don't have to work making them dependent on the government so that they can make all these changes and everybody agree with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is like, is very disturbing to me. It is. And again, we were founded, this nation was founded, the, the men and women who fought, bled, starved, and died to even have the opportunity to put quill to parchment to write this document, uh, these documents, our constitution and our bill of rights. They were not okay with the status quo. They were not the go along to get along. They were the rebels of their time. And I hope that, as I said, that that spirit still runs in the veins of, of their, um, the people that they handed this uh, inheritance to. Uh, we have inherited a, an incredible nation. It's not perfect, but there is no perfect place. There are no perfect people. So a government that doesn't want to follow the Constitution, all they have to do is take this little booklet and call it racist. Yeah. And convince the, the younger generation that what is in that book is all racist crap and then makes it easier for them to amend an amendment. Absolutely. And the the <clears throat> biggest lies are always there's always a tiny kernel of truth. And so when you're trying to unwind what's true and what's not true, we get to that kernel. And if we don't really have an expanded background of knowledge from a variety of sources and a variety of times in history and a variety of, of nations across the, the globe, 
it is just too easy to get sucked into. Well, if that piece is true, then maybe the rest of it's true. Uh, and so really, I just really hope that people will um, stay curious. Don't just, you know, make up your mind too quickly that you're being fed the absolute full truth about uh, any of this stuff, even the stuff that we've said, you know, yeah, as I say all the time, don't ever take my word for never it. Never take her word for it. <laughs> never. No, you have to take my oh, word for oh, it. Um, but do your own research, stay curious, stay questioning, um, go out there and, and find knowledge from a variety of sources. And if, and I'm not talking about, oh, well, I saw five headlines that agree with each other. I'm not talking about that because that's a lie in itself. What happens with that most often is that here's a headline and then a bunch of other headlines just are quoting back, sourcing right. from that exact same place, not having yeah, done their own the independent research. Yeah, don't just read the headline either. Oh my you gosh, yeah. The volume of it because- For sure. Pull you a little bit. All right. Well, thank you so much to our amazing guest, Catherine Gorka. We definitely have much more to talk with her about. Uh, the Heritage Foundation does lots of work on lots of um, topics. And um, so we just really appreciate her taking the time. Thank you to our amazing listeners all over the world. Uh, the fact that you could be anywhere doing anything and you have tuned in to um, be part of this conversation is amazing. It's everything. And then you take these conversations around your dinner table yeah. with your family, your friends. Holy cow. I couldn't ask for anything better than that um, because that's really where the ideas expand and become actions. Um, it's, it's incredible. Thank you so much. Uh, if you've missed any portion of this show, you can go to the audio version of it on gunfreedomradio.com. Click the on-demand tab and binge listen to your heart's content Darling. to all of the episodes we have there. And we are also in video form on the OpsLens smartphone app, the uh, YouTube, if we're still allowed to be there by the time you find this episode and on GunStreamer. And we are sitting in the studio on Monday, May 3rd, 2021, uh, just to give you a, a pin in history as to where we were in time when we were having this conversation. Um, and so we value your time. Uh, if you want to learn more about any of our guests, you can go to uh, thegunfreedomradio.com, click the guest tab, and uh, there are photos and bios and links to all the works oh, wow. of all the subject matter experts that we've ever had on. It's a tremendous resource and, you know, we don't hate it when you spend time there. So, all right. Until next time, Mr. Todd, what are we going to do? We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for our politicians. <laughs> all of them, Dan? All of them. Even the ones you don't like? Especially the ones that I can't stand. <laughs> all right. That's all. More than what I could ask for, right there. So, all right. Big, be good to each other. Have a great week, and God bless. Bye bye.